John, I, I have a feeling we're probably going to talk about Max Scherzer a little bit. Absolutely. And it's a big story in New York. It happened nearly a week ago, but we hadn't had the podcast. And, you know, it's a very controversial one. I think you and I don't even quite agree on all aspects of this. Uh, I can I can completely see both sides to this, but I, I do feel a little sympathy for him because, as you know, I don't love, love a judgment call when it comes to somebody's integrity. Yeah, we'll talk about that sticky situation. Forgive me for that horrible, horrible pun. We'll talk about the A's uh, uh, looking more and more like they're going to end up in Vegas. We'll talk about the signing, the extension of Brian Reynolds with the Pirates. Uh, and we'll talk with Carter Hawkins, uh, the general manager of the Cubs, if you stick with us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Hayden. John, since we were last together doing this podcast, uh, Max Scherzer was certainly in the news. It was uh, last Wednesday, so six days ago from when we're speaking now, uh, against the Dodgers, his old team. Uh, he was ejected from a game uh, for having uh, what they felt was excess foreign substance on his hand that he insisted was nothing more than legal rosin and sweat. Uh, that seemed to worsen when he uh, used alcohol to clean up, clean it up. He initially sounded like he might appeal. He decided not to appeal. So he his 10-game suspension held. He can next pitch May 1st against the Braves. It's a matinee on a Monday. John, what do you think of this uh, brouhaha? Yeah, you know, I just don't love the idea of a judgment call when it comes to somebody's integrity. I get judgment calls. We need them in the game. Ball strike, out, safe. Um Check swing, not a check swing. Those have got to be judgment calls done on the spur of the moment. You know, I when you're questioning someone's integrity, you know, I think the PEDs, you've got the answer. You know, you, you take a drug test. If you fail the test, you've cheated. You're, you know, now branded a cheater. In this case, um, you know, the umpires need to make a judgment call. And I think MLB's intentions are in the right place. I think the umpire, Phil Cuzzy, his intentions are good not questioning him in any way um but i mean i think everybody's got a different judgment on how sticky your hands can be can or can't be and um to me it's just too much gray area when you're talking about something as important as somebody's integrity you know it's not it's not so much the couple more innings he would have pitched or the couple more starts he's gonna miss it's more about his reputation and uh you know, I, I think it's unfortunate. I don't know whether I would suggest having a lab in every ballpark or what to really have an you want answer. It makes the games here. longer again, don't you? you I don't know. Well, I, you know at every it doesn't ballpark. come up that often. It doesn't come, and it's only come up when Phil Cuzzy's the umpire. Wait, I it's, thought you weren't questioning him. Suddenly, you're questioning him. No, uh, you know, maybe he's the one doing it right. We don't know. Um, you know. I, I just think it's odd. I I I prefer something else that was less of a gray area when it comes to somebody's integrity. Yeah, look, I you, you mentioned with PEDs, we have something clearer, except for that everybody who gets busted for PEDs did what Matt Scherzer said and said claims they were innocent. They didn't know they put something in their body, etc. I was a little surprised, John. I know he cited this is best for the Mets, and he was worried that an MLB official does it. I was really surprised he didn't fight. I think the Matt Scherzer that you and I know is someone who doesn't mind arguing. I mean, he'll argue with me out of whole cloth on things we weren't even discussing. So, I mean, it's fine. I'm, you know, but but I, I I'm surprised he didn't fight. 
if nothing else, he understands as somebody who was a significant uh, presence uh, for the Players Association as an executive, you know, among the players, uh, that precedent is important. Go in and make your arguments about what you just said, John, that rosin is legal. How are you deciding sticky stuff against sticky stuff? You know, I assume very few people on the planet know more about what can be done to a baseball than Max Scherzer. He clearly knew that by cleaning with alcohol, it would make it at least initially stickier. And he went back out and had his hands tested. That didn't feel great, like looking at it. I, I, I'll say I was surprised that he didn't fight. Yeah, we're all shocked. And the original plan was to fight it. And maybe it was because it's an MLB official and he knew he wasn't going to win. My understanding is he did get the fine uh, down. Not that that makes any difference. I was about to say the guy who makes the most money in the game got the fine down. Tied with Verlander, 43 million. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. it doesn't really matter whether you're paying 10,000. I believe it's now 5,000. I don't know if that was part of the deal, but uh, my understanding is the fine is less. I'm shocked he didn't fight. The, my understanding. Well, was, my question is, do fight. you think it says something that he didn't fight? I wouldn't read anything into it. I mean, like I said, I, I think it needs to be 100 percent. If someone fails a PED test, no matter what excuse they you they give, we, we've caught they've been caught. In this case, we're relying on the judgment. You know, look at the quotes. This is the stickiest I've ever seen. We've never had this sticky this year. I, but they also said they didn't know why it was sticky. They didn't know what it was. I mean, if it was the alcohol, he did say he washed his hands with alcohol in front of an MLB official. I would think Scherzer would know that that would cause it to be sticky. I would think the MLB official doesn't have a ton of jobs to do, would know that as well. And, uh, you know, I just think there are too many questions here. That's my issue with it. I do think MLB's heart is in the right place. I think they're doing the right thing. A story for another day that we can tackle is why they don't use the tackier ball. That would seem like a, a solution but I, it does seem like they're trying and you know in, in my column where i said it was a the, the whole thing is a failure I, I don't think that that i think that might have been overstating it because you know only three guys have been caught i think it has discouraged a lot of guys and when i say caught again it's a, it's a gray area so caught by mlb uh you know i think a lot of guys have been discouraged from using sticky stuff so i i i, I take it back that it's another failure but i'm still uncomfortable that uh, we're using judgment of, over somebody's integrity. Yeah, Matt Scherzer was uncomfortable. He should have fought it. Uh, I did agree with something Scherzer said, which is we should use some of the modernity. Everybody has their baseline of what they throw. If you see, there should be an alert if spin rate or velocity or something goes up. To me, the second base umpire should be wearing uh, you know, a headset and he could hear it. And I make it the second base umpire so the pitcher doesn't see him coming so he can't wipe it away. One of the things we probably should have seen coming, John, is there's a binding agreement between the uh, Oakland A's and uh, um, uh, they bought a place in Vegas to build a ballpark. It's a long way from here to there, which is they still have to get $500 million in public financing in Nevada. They have to get the other owners to agree, a few other hurdles, but this was probably something we should have seen coming. They were doing everything but uh, tanking every game on purpose to get out of there. Maybe they were tanking. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, what, what, what do you think of this situation? One more one more com- comment that's sticking to me on the sticky stuff. Sticky, I, I, yeah. I don't think spin rate is proof. So, again, to me. Well, but but I'm not, I'm not saying it's proof to throw anyone else out. I'm saying it's proof to go check somebody. In other words, well, they check this, every inning. So how much more can but, you but, check? But, I, but, but Scherzer's point was 
like my spin rate didn't change. Nothing changed where you should have thought like I'm using a substance more than I normally use it. So we do have baselines for these guys. So I'm just su suggesting that you're using some modern evidence to say, alert the umpires, hey, this guy has four miles per hour more velocity, 300 yeah. RPMs more, go check him. All right. Well, as someone who watches forensic files a lot, that's, that's still circumstantial evidence. Now, well, I'm not saying to, no, 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 <laughs> you don't get to do that. That's a straw man. That, don't do that. I didn't say to throw a guy out. No, no, I understand. It's, it is circumstantial evidence. It's exactly what I said to you. Right. Use the circumstantial evidence to go check a guy. All right. Okay. Nothing wrong with checking a guy. I can't disagree with that. Uh, I mean, the A's at this point, I mean, I think it's untenable in Oakland. Um, you know, obviously two teams have already moved. The Warriors moved. The Raiders moved. So they're not the first ones moving. I do like the fact that baseball, it takes a lot to move a baseball team. Now, sometimes a move is a good move. Obviously, people in Brooklyn weren't happy. People in uh, the upper part of Manhattan weren't happy. But uh, look, the Giants and the Dodgers in California, that's worked out pretty well. So at some point, a move is worthwhile. I think at this point, I think it is worthwhile. You could look at it and say, look, they run that team into the ground. But I, I just it just feels at this point that Las Vegas is an up and coming city. Uh, I know you're not a gambler. We have been there together, but it, that is a fun city. And it's been a great sports town. If you saw any of the Golden Knights games or the Raiders game, I've been to the Raiders games. It's a little scary going to a Raiders game. I don't think it's going to be as scary once the A's get there. But um, it feels like it's something that needed to be done. You know, if anything, maybe they waited too long. It's hard to know exactly how much to blame A's ownership. Obviously, it's not been a great run there lately. I mean, all the different instances of things that have not gone right from the cheap meals they give to the minor leaguers to the uh, payroll that they've run way down to what the team is now, which looks like the worst team in baseball. I, I wouldn't say they did it on purpose. I mean, their their revenue is not good there now. So uh, at this point, I really can't blame them for doing it. Yeah, their revenue is not great, but their their team makes money every year. The value of that franchise has what well, gone up tenfold since it was bought. Uh, they, they they do nothing to improve the facility, John. This this has felt like they have done everything possible to make sure they end up in Vegas. To your point, of course, like if it's not them, MLB is going to Vegas. the The question is, will it be an expansion team or the A's? Now it looks like the A's. You know, the one thing that kept them afloat is that they're baseball operations people. I think guys we have respect for David Force, Billy Bean, Billy Owens, that group of guys really over the last 20 years uh, did a good job. But like I went and looked, you know, their 2021 team finished 86 and 76. From that group, they've traded Sean Murphy, Matt Olson, Matt Chapman, Frankie Monta, Sean Manea, and Chris Bassett, besides whoever they lost in free agency, like Marte, et cetera. Right. You know, like. Those guys, and we're a long way from here to there. So far, they it, it doesn't look great what the returns are. So that baseball operations group, which has historically did very well in trades, which is how they stayed afloat on right. those bad payrolls, you know, they're they're sitting with just a, a, a terrible, terrible team right now. And yeah. I, I I feel like it would be very hard to convince me, John, that this isn't exactly what they want and isn't exactly what they've been edging towards creating so that they can move there for years yeah i don't know if they traded for uh not such great players on purpose but yeah i would agree they, they've done a bad job there um you know obviously billy bean is a legendary 
uh, baseball executive. He's not really involved very much at this point. Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to disagree. They they have not done a good job, but I do think baseball will be better off in Las Vegas. And uh, it wasn't working in Oakland, and it's been a while. Even with those good teams, they still weren't drawing that many fans, more than they are now, but not that many. Yeah, John, uh I think baseball will be better in Vegas. It's never better when you screw a fan base, and it feels to me like they've screwed a fan base there. Uh, another small market uh, um, team that's doing the opposite. Uh, the Pirates have gotten off great this year. Uh, they're 16-7 and seven when we talk. They've got the best record in the National League. And not long before we came on to do this podcast, John, you were among the people who had this story that the that they extended Brian Reynolds. There's been talk for a long time, right? Right throughout spring training, beginning of season, eight years, one hundred six point seven five million. What do you think of this? Well, great for the Pirates. Uh, they were able to extend their best player, and then he wanted to stay even before they started sixteen and seven. Uh, he was in there negotiating this deal, and it's been at that price for a long time. I mean, I reported weeks ago that they'd agreed at one hundred for six on the. Uh, extension, which is now seven for one hundred six point seven five, I guess, counting this year. So th they had one hang up, which is that he wanted an opt out after four years. They didn't want to give an opt out. I get it. I mean, that was a bit much. They want to keep him long term. We talked about this on the show a couple times already. They compromised with the no trade, got it done. Good for the Pirates. You know, I, I think he wanted to be there. I don't think it was about the start. And uh, why would it be? I mean. You know, it's it's only 23 games. We're not we're really not sure where the Pirates are going at this point. But it's nice that they've had a, a very good start. People are excited about baseball in Pittsburgh. It's a good baseball town when they're doing well. It hasn't felt this way in a while. And uh, good for them. This is, as we do, this is a great day in, in, in Pittsburgh for baseball. Yeah, you know what it might not be a great day for? August 1st, we're, you know, it's, again, a long way from here to there. We don't know who will be in the race. But Brian Reynolds was a guy we thought might be a key trade piece uh, between now and the trade deadline. He's off the market. Ian Happ, we have um, Carter Hawkins, the general manager of the Cubs, coming up next uh, on the show. But they extended Ian Happ. He was another guy. He would have been a free agent at the end of this year. Adam Duval. I think we probably both think the Red Sox might have some difficulty this year. He felt like a guy off to a good start who could get traded. He fractured his wrist. John, again, who knows who will be in the right? I mean, if the Cardinals actually stink this year, suddenly a lot of, of their young position players could be available. But uh, you and I live for the trade deadline often. It feels like we've already hurt the trade deadline in these last few weeks. Yeah, I mean, and there are like five or six really terrible teams, and I'm not sure that they have much on those teams really to trade. Like the Oakland A's, for example. Oakland A's, but there are others. They're not alone. They're they're probably the worst. I think they're the worst. But, I mean, there are five or six teams, and, and we both know who they are, are not good, and there really aren't great trade candidates. Obviously, something could pop up by then. Of course, there's going to be a lot of speculation about Otani. I mean, that would be the biggest trade of all. I still don't believe that Artie Moreno would do it. Um, I saw him at the Breakers in uh, Palm Beach two months ago. He does not seem like he wants to trade Otani. He wants to try to sign him. And he has signed big guys before. They better get in the playoffs. They better hustle because they're they're not playing well. And that will lead to more speculation about him. But I'm not seeing him being traded either. 
You know, John, on the subject of not playing well, playing well, you mentioned it. The Pirates are off, and it's just 23 games at 16 and 7. Uh, the, the sport's a little topsy-turvy right now. Uh, like, it's just interesting. I looked this morning. Seattle, Houston, Cleveland, Philadelphia, St. Louis, was the Dodgers and the Padres, all teams. That's seven of the 12 teams who made the playoffs last year. They're not in. We got a lot of Rangers. We got a lot of Cubs. We got a lot of Pirates. Uh, just before we go to break and before we bring Carter Hawkins in, you think something's afoot here, or do you think it's just four weeks and all the teams we think are going to be good are going to be good, and all the teams we thought aren't going to be that good, they're not going to be that good? <laughs> well, it's only four weeks, but I, I do think one or two of those surprise teams will emerge. It's going to be interesting to see which one it is, whether it's the Twins, the Rangers, the Diamondbacks, the Cubs, the Pirates even – Somebody will emerge, I think. There'll be some surprise by the end of the year. But I think most of those teams that we expected to be in the playoffs, the, the, between the Dodgers, the Padres, the Phillies, who are not Cardinals, who are not performing very well now, I think most of them will be in. Yeah, I think the one thing we could be pretty certain of, again, is something we did think at the beginning of the year, that the AL East was going to be a beast. As we're sitting here, there's no team under 500. Even the Red Sox are 500. Uh, and they've shown some real offense. I don't know that they can, without the pitching, keep it up all year. But I would be surprised if three, if they have four playoff teams come out of there. I don't know. Can the Cubs be a playoff team this year? As we speak, there actually would be if there was such a thing as the four. We, maybe they'll have like the NBA. I brought the NBA in, John. They're going to have a play-in tournament next year. Uh, no. Uh we're going to bring in Carter Hawkins. And that's a dumb rule, and nobody says anything about it. Baseball is always criticized. What if they had a play-in rule in, the, in Major League Baseball? How much criticism would that be? Well, I mean, I, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean the play-in. They're going to have an in-season tournament next year. Would you like that for baseball, an in-season tournament? No, we're good the way we are. I'm, good. I'm a semi-traditionalist. Like, me, like May Madness, will set up a bracket. Who will we're good. survive? In, but we're good. All right. Well, we're going to find out more about the Cubs, what they think about uh, – uh, the strong start so far for uh, Cody Bellinger, uh, the uh, bringing in of Dansby Swanson and more. If you stick with us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman, we have Carter Hawkins coming up next. Back on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman, and uh, we're pleased to be joined by the general manager of the Chicago Cubs, Carter Hawkins. Carter, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Uh, as we're speaking to you, your team is uh, 12 and nine, uh, three games out of first place, doing well pretty much early in the season. I, you guys made a lot of moves in the offseason, one tremendously big one for Swanson, uh, Dansby Swanson, and a bunch of uh, smaller ones along the way to try to deepen your roster. There's one guy who kind of stands out. He's a former MVP to me, and that's uh, you know Cody Bellinger who has played again for a month, it's only a month, like an MVP again. Should we believe in him, what he's done so far this year? I think with what he's shown thus far, you know, over the first month, I think the belief uh, certainly should be there. We definitely do. Um, and, and believe that before coming in, that he could regain some of the form. You know, it's hard to, to say for sure that someone's going to be an MVP type quality candidate, but, um, you know, just – in terms of getting healthier, you know, kind of the underlying athleticism and, and skill set that he has, you know, it's not a, a huge surprise to us, but certainly a, a welcome one um, from a standpoint of, you know, really has stabilized our lineup and has played really, really good center field as well. I think that's that stood out for us. Hey, Carter, I wanted to ask you about your even bigger free agent signing and, and that Swanson. Um, you know, we all kind of guessed that maybe he could end up being a Cub uh, 
just because it seemed like it fit. You were looking at shortstop. You were going to move Horner over to second. Um, his wife, uh, Mallory, uh, is a star player with the Chicago soccer team. And so we were all kind of guessing along. And you went to Vanderbilt. He went to Vanderbilt. I don't know if that's a factor or not. But uh, when I saw him in spring training, he basically was very honest with me and said he had to be convinced. You know, he's a guy, he's very much like Derek Jeter. He, he puts a huge premium on winning. Basically, that's all he's about is winning. And he originally wasn't that sure that he wanted to be a Cub. Did you sense that at the beginning? And and did it take a lot of convincing to get him there? And is he what you expected? Yeah, I mean, I think he, he's a guy that is thoughtful about everything that he does and every decision that he makes. And, um, you know, I think from that standpoint, um, you know, it's there, certainly served him well uh, throughout his career. But, you know, whether it's defensive positioning, offensive approach, um, you know, how we, you know, wear our uniforms or what we wear on the on the plane. Like there's a lot of conversation with Dan to be. He's just somebody who's really thoughtful about things. And so I, there was definitely not a reluctance um, that we felt as we engaged him in the process. But there certainly was a lot of seeking to understand. And he wanted to understand our plan and, and where we were and, and more importantly, where we're going and how we're going to get there. And, and those you know, three questions were kind of were the things that we centered around with him and. You know, I get it. You know, we won 74 games last year and I think 71 the year before that. And, you know, for a guy that, you know, wants to spend the rest of his career winning, that's a, a legitimate question to ask. And, you know, felt like once we, you know, walked through where we were, it, it made a made a lot more sense for him. And, you know, absolutely ecstatic that we got him on board and have him for the next seven. Can you treat us a little bit like Dansby Swanson? Where are you and where are you going? Yeah, uh, I would love to do that. I mean, it's you know, the where are we? It's, you know, we, we've come off of a relatively massive change in the organization. You know, there was, you know, a, a core of players that are iconic here in Chicago. I've only been here for a year, but I still hear about them every day. You know, no one wants to let go of that from the media to the fans. And, you know, I understand that, you know, it's, uh, I was, I was there for the 2016 World Series up close and personal and then saw it happen. And, um, you know, we've, we've moved on from, from that core and, and started to, to bridge to, you know, our next, you know, what Jed has talked about, the next great Cubs team. And whether that's a tired phrase or not, it's the reality of what we're trying to put together is to you know, put together something great, something special. And, um, you know, we are, you know, building up the farm system, um, guys that we got in those trades for those players, guys that we've brought in through international and, and domestic acquisition and starting to have those players matriculate to the big leagues while at the same time brought in, you know, some players that we feel like have experience winning at the major leagues that can help us win now. So we're taking incremental steps um, to be more and more competitive each year, feel like we have a chance to be competitive in our division this year and, you know, think that, uh, you know, going forward, we'll continue to get better each year and over a, a medium to long-term outlook, that's a pretty exciting, uh, exciting thing for us and feel like we're going to have a lot of great baseball for a long time here. Yeah, Carter obviously was the an executive with the uh, Guardians at the time. Now we call them the Guardians uh, in 2016. So you are right. You saw firsthand exactly uh, what the Cubs did there and his, with their historic win. I'm sure you're hoping to get another one. As you look at the standings today uh, in the Central, it, it's a little surprising to some of us. Um, wh what surprises you so far? I mean, to me, I mean, I think we're all shocked about the Pirates being – 16 and seven, you've got Milwaukee playing great, which I think we expect them to be pretty good, but not this great. And St. Louis really struggling and, and your team is doing well. Anything, including what your team is doing, surprise you to this point? 
I mean, honestly, John, the only thing that surprises me is that people are surprised um, by just random noise and 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 influx of different teams early in the year. You know, like the Pirates might end up being a wonderful team over 162. We might end up being a wonderful team. Um, you know, the Brewers might end up being a wonderful team, but I don't think that we can look at any you know 20 game snapshot of any team at any point and, and say, you know, hey, that that team is what it is. You know, I was looking back. I was talking to Jed this morning. You know, in 2016, the the Guardians were, I think, 10 and 11 in April or, or something, something ridiculous like that. And, you know, it's just, I think, just the the ebb and flow of a season. And, you know, it's the the marathon, not a sprint metaphor. And, and you know, I think absolutely, you know, the Pirates have done a great job of, of you know, creating runs and preventing runs early and, and getting the big hits. And, you know, so have we and, and so have the Brewers. I mean, heck, so have the Rays, obviously. And you know, I think the ability for these teams to have to be consistent with that production to when they start getting injury uh, issues for that depth to come up and be able to, to play well, you know, those, those are the things that are really going to stand out over, over time. But looking at an April snapshot, it's, it's hard to say really anything with much confidence. Um, although it's fun to talk through it. You know, Carr, I'm testing my memory here, but I believe that you guys got off well last year, uh, you know, that you were good early in the year uh, and faded as time went by. Why, why would that not happen this year? Yeah, I mean, so I think we were like six and four last year and then uh, got the six and six and then never got above 500 after that. Um, oh, I'm, so, I think I'm confusing you with the 21 season, aren't I, where the team went out. Uh, uh, well, I'm sorry. About exactly. That. Yeah, no yeah. sweat. Yeah, I mean, but but still, you know, like last year, you know, we were nine games over 500 in the second half. Um, so if you flip the second half in the first half and we were, you know, basically you know, almost at the all-star break and had been nine games over 500, it's it's a drastically different feel, but we still would have been the same team. Um, and I think that's, that's the point. It's, it's 162 games, you know, teams without depth teams without, you know, repeatable skill sets are going to start to leak oil over time. And so that is our goal is to make sure that we are optimizing our players so that we minimize injury risk, not that we can totally eliminate that, but, but minimize that making sure that, you know, we're, making the right decisions over and over again about how we attack hitters, making the right decisions about um, how we you know, put our lineups together, making sure that our depth stays healthy and ready in, in AAA. And we just have to continually stay disciplined to those difficult decisions. And that gives us the best shot to not leak oil over the course of this long season. And um, you know, I think that's, that's kind of the point. It's, I, that's one thing I learned from, from Tito and in, in, in Cleveland was, you know, this is a marathon and you just have to take every single game as one game and just look at every single game as the full season from a standpoint of we do everything I can to do to win tonight. And then if we don't, we're going to do everything we're going to do to win tomorrow. And if we do, we're going to do everything we're going to do to win the next day. And so it's just that, that myopic focus on each game. And if you can do that for 162, like you have a pretty good shot of, of playing up or above the true talent level of your team. Yeah, looking back at the end of last year, I, I thought you actually played above your talent level in the second half. How did you guys – and you ended up going out and making a lot of big moves, and it looks like you're aiming for the playoffs with all the moves that you did make. Uh, did you feel better about this team than I did in the second half last year? Do you feel like you've got a potential playoff team here now with the moves that you did make? You know, I think to your point, we probably played above our true talent level. I think we played below that in the first half, and – um, you know, so were we a nine game over 500 team last year? Probably not on paper. Um, but were we a 500 team? Uh, I think you could, you can make a stretch and say, yeah. Um, and that definitely made us, uh, got us excited that 
the Ian Haps of the world, the Nico Horners of the world, the Justin Steeles of the world, you know, we're putting together full seasons of, of quality major league baseball and to be able to see that say, okay, we can start to build around some of these things. And then as we brought in some of these, these veteran players that we have, and then continue to see the development of our young players, that's when it starts to get exciting. Um, you know, from, from our seat, it's, it's hard to get too, too excited, just knowing uh, all the risks and, and, you know, just being worried every night about, about all the things that the downside risk on everything. But, um, you know, I think from the outside and for a fan, if I'm a fan, I'm really excited about the future of the Cubs. That's for sure. Uh, you mentioned a couple of guys I wanted to ask about with a, with a philosophical question. Uh, you've extended Hap, you've extended Horner. Uh, and it feels to me, again, from the outside, philosophically, like uh, maybe you're paying a little more premium per year to keep years tight, keep guys in their prime years. I think Marcus Stroman probably falls into that philosophically. Maybe Suzuki falls into that for the above average player, but not the great player. Am I onto something here? Are you trying to build a, like willing to spend a little more per year and keep good depth with the guys we describe like, Oh, he's a really good player. He's not a great player, but he's a really good player. Yeah. I think, I think you're onto that. I mean, it's, you know, the, the longer the deal, the the smaller, the AAV, the shorter the deal, the larger the AAV, all other things being equal. I think that's a, a good rule of thumb. So then the question is, why are the Cubs doing a shorter, shorter term deal um, on some of these players? And I think it gets to just the uh, incremental gains that we're trying to make. And as we made some of these deals, you know, we're saying, Hey, look, like we know where we're going. We're going to be, you know, a playoff competitive world series, competitive team. Is that going to take one year, two years, three years. We'll have to see all that, all those things play out. No one can predict the future, but given that we can't predict the future, not tying ourselves down for the future and maintaining that flexibility helps, uh, you know, just in terms of our team building and for a guy like Hap and a guy like Nico who are very willing to bet on themselves. Um, there was an overlap in interest there, and that's that's why deals got done. Justin Steele, uh, that's a good baseball name. Where did he come from? I mean, he is now 3-0 with a 144 ERA. He, he did not – he's 27 years old, so he's not young. But at this point, he looks like a very good pitcher. Um, I don't remember him being that big a prospect. Is he this good? I mean, he's, he's really good. Um, you know, I think – what is great, great is good consistently, and he's been good consistent more often than not over the course of the last year. You know, he was a drafted and developed player from the Cubs and, you know, always had good stuff, um, had some injury history early, but uh, just has a really unique fastball and breaking ball combination that players just have a really difficult time picking up. And, you know, I think we've seen it just with the swings that guys are taking on balls that, you know, doesn't look like, you know, the Grom type stuff, but guys are taking some pretty silly swings and getting a lot of weak contact and his ability to attack the zone and then just stay consistent over, you know, six, seven innings. And he worked really hard this offseason on just improving some of his physiological aspects just so he could get deeper into a game and maintain, you know, his his quality of stuff. And I think that's really helped thus far this year. And, and hopefully we see that play out over the next, you know, 20 plus starts. Or on the previous thing I asked, uh, unfortunately, I think you asked a better question than me, which was, why are you guys doing this? Uh, and I don't know that you went uh, all the way there. Are you doing this because you imagine that doing it this way saves money big time for the next big guy you want to go get? And look, a lot of people are tying that big guy is someone who currently hits and pitches for the, for the Angels, uh, is a free agent afterwards. And 
Your club was obviously one of the ones he circled the last time he was free. Um, are you doing this to create essentially salary payroll slot to do a substantial thing? No, it's not. It's not about saving money as much as just optimizing the dollars each year. Um, it's a little bit, uh, you know, a different. It's not a different philosophy necessarily as much as if you're thinking about someone signing a, a 10 year free agent deal, they're not signing it for the seventh year of the deal, the eighth year of the deal, the ninth year of the deal. They're signing it for the first, second and third year of the deal, most likely. Or, you know, if it's a young player, it could be more than that. Um, so we're saying, OK, like, let's spend our money on the on the optimal years at this point. Now, on the other hand, we signed Dansby to seven years, right? Because we felt like the the dollar amount and the value that he was going to be each of those seven years made sense for us. And so it's really just a, a value calculation for us in terms of each year of the deal, are we going to be getting a positive return on investment? And that's basically the limit for us. And, and as we go through our negotiations and we feel like we're getting a good return on investment. We'll make the deal. If we feel like we're going below a return on investment, it doesn't make a ton of sense for us, um, especially just with our incremental gains right now, not being necessarily a team that's projected for 100 wins right now. We're not looking to just to get right over the hump and making a below market deal just to, to make that happen. Another pitcher who's doing really well for you is Martin Stroman, signed uh, the previous year to a two-year, I think, uh, well, he had the longer deal, but he has an opt-out after this year. Um, now, he's performing very well. Would you anticipate he might opt out? Would you ever have any thoughts of any discussions with him previous to that? And, I mean, that's ended up being a good signing. I wasn't sure. Uh, he's, you know, he's got a strong personality. And it seems like it's playing well there. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like it's it's going well there. And uh, would you think about extending him in advance, or are you going to wait to see what he does? Yeah, I mean, I can't can't speak to the decision that Stro will make. I can't speak to just how awesome he's had he's been to to be here. Um, kind of an odd year last year, obviously the lockout, and then got COVID, and then had a shoulder injury, and so never really got in a groove like he's been in this year. Um, but certainly has, has you know, really logged innings this year for us and, and led our pitching staff. And he's absolutely the type of player that we love around for a long time. And he's fit right in with our clubhouse. And, you know, we just got a lot of guys that are focused on each other and focused on winning. And those two things are a pretty good recipe. And he's right in the mix of that. Carter, you mentioned earlier the, the previous team that was dismantled, mainly before I believe you, you got there, uh, the championship team from 2016. Two of those guys, Baez and Rizzo, were traded to New York for players who I, I know from being in your camp uh, during spring training you guys are excited about. I wonder if you could give us some kind of update on what you think uh, you have right now in Pete Crow Armstrong and Kevin Alcantara. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Pete, probably the the marquee, uh, no pun intended, prospect um, in all of those deals. Um, just a dynamic center fielder that uh, has great defensive ability and some emerging power and, you know, really focused on, you know, his plate discipline and, and, you know, trying to to swing for damage versus just swing for contact and, you know, think that, that he's got a really bright future um, because of those two parts of the baseball game and then add on, you know, the potential to, to steal a lot of bases and there's a lot of value there. So really excited about him. He's in double A, got off to a, a good start, was sick last week, been out for a few games, but um, got off to a really good start and, and really encouraging there. And then, Kevin Alcantara, um, just put him on the 40-man roster uh, this offseason. He's in high A. 
um, some of the higher exit velocities uh, in our in our system. Just hits the ball really, really hard. He's a physical specimen, six four, six five. You know, extremely strong, long strides, great arm, hit the ball a really, really long way. As is the case with most players with that profile, it's about plate discipline with him as well, and you know, just making sure that he's. Uh, when guys are scared out of the strike zone that he's not chasing there. And, you know, a lot of, lot of uh, improvements for him to, to, to be made, but have the time to do it. He's, he's extremely young, but with both of those guys really, really excited and, and think that they can be a part of our future for a long time. You know, I really loved what you did this winter, not only because Swanson's one of my favorite players because of his focus on winning, but you, you brought in some very nice guys. Uh, Mancini, uh, you know, I mean, we're talking about, extremely nice guys tyone osmer i mean was there an effort is this something that was important to you guys or is that just you know it happened to work out this way that you got a a very pleasant clubhouse yeah i mean we're we're not trying to to win the nice guy award i can guarantee you that we're trying to win (laughs) baseball games and if we got a bunch of jerks that can pull together and be good teammates to each other and, and win games like we'll do that i'll take that every every single day um, you know, at the end of the day, those guys were good baseball players. We felt like fit into our roster and, and we're going to provide the value that we needed. Um, they do happen to be on a, a large, a large scale, um, really good dudes. But at the same time, I think you guys probably have, have, have experienced this more than me. You know, different players have different reputations based on different contexts. So you can ask 10 different coaches about 10 different players, about one different player and get 10 different answers. And, you know, I think the thing that we've done really well is create a context where a lot of people can both be individuals, but feel like they're part of a team. And when that happens, all of the guys that were bad eggs in one place become good eggs in that place. And that starts with our coaching staff. That starts with our scouting staff really getting to know the players that are coming into our system so that our coaches can be prepared to deal with them or to basically optimize the environments that these guys are in. And um, there's been a definitely a deliberate effort for that. Um, so it's really more about, hey, let's know these guys before we sign them. And if the value matches up, we'll sign them. And then we come in, let's get them part of our team, make sure that we know what makes them tick, do everything we possibly can to have a great working environment. Yeah, I like that philosophy. I, I think it, 10 out of 10 people would tell you Tyone and uh, Mancini are, are nice guys, though. No doubt. There are, there are those, find anybody. <laughs> those individuals. Yeah. So this, yeah. you are right. I mean, there's we agree. So just correlation not causation on on how just genuinely good our guys are um which makes things a lot easier i'll take that over the alternative but um we didn't have a nice guy box in our scouting reports now okay i believe you uh say suzuki i think he came about the same time that you came or at least the year same year that you came he wasn't he wasn't as good last year as as you guys expected i think based on that contract now he's performing much better uh what what do you think the difference is I think just the transition is really difficult. He had a extremely difficult transition. So he signed after the lockout. So, you know, one day he's in Japan, the next day he's on a flight to Los Angeles. The next day he signed with, didn't know where he was going to sign, signed with the Cubs. Next day he's at a press conference. Next day he's meeting new teammates that don't speak his language, eating, eating food that he's not used to, going to a ballpark that he's never been to, staying in a hotel that he's never been, in a city he's never been, with a wife who's, you know, pregnant in the other side of the world, just a lot of changes. And I think anybody that's gone through a change in their work and or life or both at the same time uh, realizes the stress that comes with that. And um, I think he dealt with it remarkably, but I do think it it does impact 
uh, your ability to perform right out of the gates. And then he had some injuries um, and just didn't have that runway because of you know, the shortened spring training and just didn't put him in a, uh, a optimized position to succeed. I think we're just in a much more comfortable place this year. And we're starting to see some of the, the true talent really come out. You scared me for a second, Carter. You were going through all the things he hadn't experienced and hadn't done. Uh, Suzuki and I thought you were going to say a wife he didn't know either when uh, you were going th- when you were going through that list. Uh, <laughs> uh, Carter, Car- I wonder if I could wrap this up by just kind of talking a little more globally about the game. We're dealing with uh, new rules, obviously, uh, that we're kind of fi- trying to figure out uh, what they mean for the full season, and. Uh, You know, when I've talked to executives, there's this real fear, a fear that exists every year, but it feels like it's on steroids this year about pitching surviving the year. Uh, There's been a lot of injury lists already with pitchers. Uh, You know, does the the faster pace, warmer weather, more offense. Do you have this fear and do you have any thoughts on how to survive it? Yeah, I mean, we've all had the fear forever. I think we were born with it. Um, Just... How can we get more pitching depth? And yeah, my my general philosophy is that every time a pitcher throws a baseball, he is putting you know, some bit of risk onto his arm. So you throw it ten thousand times. You have it's basically like you have a you know thousand sided die, and you're and you're rolling it. And if you get you know that one one thing, you're gonna that one side, you're gonna get hurt. But, you know, you could throw it over and over and over again, and it might never come up. But the more you throw it, the better chances are that, that you're going to hit that risk level and, and certainly and, and, and be injured. And whether throwing faster increases that risk, makes it from a 1,000-sided die to a 900-sided die, I, I don't know. We will find out. I think from our standpoint is just study the hell out of it. Try to, you know, make as many hypotheses as you possibly can and test them and test them and test them again. Um, and try to make really good decisions about you know, how to help players recover, how to help players you know, be ready to throw, you know, the prehab aspect of things, how to help them rest, and, and how to make good decisions around their health. And that's a constant conversation. Is it born out of the fear? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it's just a conversation we got to continue to be having. And even if our players are staying healthy, we need to be having those conversations and making sure that, you know, again, it's causation and not just correlation. So um, yeah. Is there a worry? Of course. Is it any different than years past? Not really. Uh, well, Carter, we, uh, John was mentioning uh, checking the nice guy box. Uh, we'll, we're going to put the nice guy box next to you. We appreciate you joining us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. And uh, we wish you a, a, a great season ahead. Thanks, fellas. Appreciate you having me on. John. Hit or arrow, which one you got this week? Uh, I'll do a quick hit. Uh, I give the Pirates credit uh, getting Reynolds done. Uh, it was a great move for them. I like that deal from their perspective. I get it why he did it. He's a little bit older, got up got up to the majors at a little bit advanced age. So I understand it from him, his perspective. But uh, good job by the Pirates. And uh, now we were left with only three teams that have never signed a $100 million player. You probably know they are the A's, Royals, and the White Sox. Well, for the first two, it's certainly going to be a while until I think we get it. Well, maybe not. The Royals might surprise us with Bobby Witt on a long-term deal at some point. The A's are actually going to have to roll the dice in Vegas, literally, to to ever get there. John, I'm going to do an error this week, and it's about an error about hit or hitting. The Yankees can hit. Uh, It's a month, but it should be concerning because, to me – 
this looks like their offense from the second half last year, minus Aaron Judge putting them on their back and carrying them by hitting 62 homers and allowing them to hold on to win the division. They're averaging a touch over four runs. Again, maybe it's early. The the Padres are actually worse than them at 3.8 runs, and I think we probably feel the quality of those guys in the lineup means that they'll rise up. The Yankees are hitting 225, 306 on base percentage. Both, I mean, it isn't like the major league averages are real high. It's 245 and 320, and the Yanks are well below it. Besides Rizzo and LeMayo, there's nothing. And I don't know, you know, look, maybe some of the young guys, Volpe, Cabrera, Peraza, you know, some growing pains, and they'll really help the offense. I will say this. I'm not sure how much longer they could just keep letting Aaron Hicks play baseball for them. Uh, the last few years haven't been good. This year, it looks even worse as they're trying to play in piecemeal. I think the way that Aaron Boone is using him is a scream to upper management. I agree. Please, I agree. Please uh, do something. I'll just highlight two things. He hit terribly at home once the booing started last year. He does not have a hit at home this year, 0 for 13. He's a switch hitter on a team that doesn't have a lot of lefty hitters. He couldn't hit left-handed last year. He's not hitting left-handed this year. He's 2 for 22. I just the, the 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 Diamondbacks moved on from Madison Bumgarner. I have a feeling the Braves will soon do this with Marcelo Zuna. Uh, I think tick 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 on Aaron Hicks. Yeah, I think you might be right there. I might, you know, of course, my solution is to stop booing him. I, I think he's having trouble in New York. He put in two productive years in New York. Uh, I know people when I wrote stop booing him, people didn't like his productive years, but there were one twenty OPS plus or better. Those are productive years. And he obviously isn't that player. You're right about it. I mean, Aaron Boone, when he was asked why he hit IKF, kind of falefa for him, is uh, in, instead of using Hicks, it's because he needed a hit. That's a bad sign. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, I needed a hit, you know, not a walk. Uh, that That's a hint. You picked up on it early. Uh, I'm with you. I, I think he'd like to move on, but, you know, obviously he's not paying the bill. So, uh, as usual, and it's Hard to blame someone who's paying the bill, but it, it's, you know, obviously the front office and ownership that's hoping that he can regain something because he's he's not old and he did do it in New York once. It's not we're not talking about Joey Gallo. We're talking about a guy who had two good years in New York. So I, I get why they're waiting, but I, I don't think this wait's going to go on forever. I'm with you. Yeah, he had three of 31 million left on his deal to begin this year. So obviously it's a little less than that. It's a question for Hal Steinbrenner, a question I'm sure we'll be uh, asking more of as we go along. Thank you for listening to the show. Uh, it's a podcast from the New York Post. As always, we appreciate our producers, Andrew Hart, Jake Brown, for navigating us through this. Uh, don't forget this show drops on the Yes app about noon each Wednesday. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please give us a five-star rating and stick with us all season on the show with Joel Sherman and John Hayden.